Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of Silicon Alley. And today, I sit down with Tristan Pillow. He is the founder of the FinTech Review, a website, blog, email newsletter that shares all things FinTech, what's going on in the space, and where to get started if you're interested in financial technology. In today's episode, we define what is FinTech, diving deep into the landscape and sort of progression of what's happened in the FinTech space and where it's headed, as well as how startups and corporations can come together to create meaningful partnerships that last a long time. And lastly, Tristan shares his own experience with personal finance, some of sage advice that he got from his father as a kid and his best and worst investments. If you haven't already, go ahead and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when episodes air every Friday. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's FinTech-focused episode of the Silicon Alley Podcast. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Tristan, welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah. And excited to uh, dive in. You obviously are very deep into fintech, and so definitely want to talk a, a lot about that. You split time between a couple of different countries. Can you talk to me about what that's been like during the pandemic? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I used to live in London, live and work in London. Uh, this was before the, before the pandemic. I was there for six years. Uh, I, I moved there as a, as a young intern uh, <laughs> in 2015. And fast forward 2020, uh, after a few years in uh, working in corporate strategy in, in banking, I decided that uh, I should live somewhere where there's a bit more sun, the food is better, there's a beach. Um, so here I am in Barcelona. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, I, I created a business that is uh, in London. So going forward, I plan to be a bit more in London and a bit here, but right now I'm just, uh, just here. Um, yeah. Enjoy the beach. I like that. I like that, uh, that decision. That sounds like a good decision to, that you made. Yeah, exactly. You know, after, after a few years in, in London, which is a really great city, you just feel that you should have more sun on a you know, day-to-day basis. And being from the south of France, where um, the sun is something normal and the beach is something normal, um, yeah. After after a few years, you just feel like you you should be closer to well, closer to home for me, but also closer to to the sea, closer to yeah, in, in a nicer environment. And especially these days, you just realize that you can do your job from about anywhere. Um, if you need to meet people, well. Uh, you, you can meet people, you can hop on a, on a plane and it's, everything is quite yeah, close. We're, we're two hour flight from, from London. So everything is doable. And I think with the pandemic, we, a lot of people have also realized that a lot of meetings, face-to-face meetings were useless and you could do them over, <laughs> over a Zoom call. So uh, I think this will, be a, this will be a game changer across uh, every, like most industries. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on there. Definitely, definitely, we've learned a lot. I think as a as a work culture in terms of what you can still accomplish through 
primarily Zoom meetings or you know video conference calls. So I want to start off, Tristan, you alluded to it, but um, your experience getting into retail banking. So talk to me a little bit about that and how specifically uh, it really hinged on you getting a beer after that interview. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that how that story plays into how you ended up in this space? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as I said, um, my my first six months in London, I was an intern in m So living the life of an intern in m and which, <laughs> I mean, wasn't great, but for me out of business school, I felt like going into investment banking was the right thing to do. And most of my friends were doing that and, and going to process. And I did a few interviews and I thought this was, this was what I was going to do. And then I saw an ad for a job in corporate development at what uh, used to be the UK subsidiary of National Australia Bank. And it kind of, I thought, oh, you know what? Uh, I should go for the interview because it sounds interesting. So I went to the interview, um, like longish interview, three hours, uh, Excel modeling and all that, all that good jazz to see if, uh, if I, I could do the job. And at the end of the interview, the guys asked me, do you want to go grab a beer at the corner? And I thought, is this a test or what happens if I say yes? What happens if I say no? So, well, I thought, you know, I could do a beer anyway. So I went for a beer, well, actually probably a couple or, or, or more. And, uh, and yeah, the next day they called me and they said, you've got the job. And afterwards, they told me, well, actually, yeah, it was part of the recruitment process to see if, uh, if you're good, good, to, good to work with because at the end of the day, you spend a lot of time with your colleagues. So you better, you know, you better get along. And they wanted to know if you could have a chat about other things and work and, you know, what were my hobbies. And yeah, you know, just if, if they could be with me, you know, 10, 12 hours a day or... So yeah, that's um, that's how I got into retail banking. Which back then uh, everybody was saying it's a boring, boring industry. Uh, you know, you shouldn't go in in there. But uh, you know, this was 2015. FinTech was there, but it wasn't so so uh, so trendy. And uh, fast forward six years, and there we've seen tremendous changes in the industry. And it's definitely not so boring one. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that you shared that story because I think you hear like cultural fit and, um, you know, it's, it's something that at least, you know, you, you hear a lot about, about making sure that you hire for culture. And I just think that's a very like London banking, like great story. And uh, obviously you passed the test and are, a, are a, a good human being outside of just uh, being able to do Excel modeling. So <laughs> Tristan, so talk to me about, as you said, retail banking wasn't the sexy kind of area of finance to go into, right? It wasn't investment banking and, you know, where, where kind of the, the myth or high rollers go to, so to speak, right? Like when you think about like a cultural nuances and how we think about investment banking. So talk to me about your experience in retail banking. And as you said, the development of fintech um, that led, that started to get your interest into this industry. Yes, yeah, so I uh, 
so I was working for, for this, this bank, Australian bank wanted to get out of the UK. So my first six months I worked on, on the merger and IPO of, um, of this bank called, back then it was called uh, CYBG. A couple of years later, acquired another bank uh, called uh, Virgin Money, and now it's all rebranded Virgin Money. Um, and whilst I was there, I worked on, on a few things, uh, corporate strategy, um, a few M&A deals, and my last job was to develop strategic partnerships with fintech startups and, and technology companies. So, uh, but I have been interested in fintech for a while and I have worked on many projects in the space. So I was looking, looking at how the industry was going, um, you know, broad sense. So how financial services uh, are evolving, how new, new entrants are changing things or not. Um, and because that's, that's key when you're working on the, the strategy of a bank, you're, you have to look at the competition uh, broadly. So uh, the other banks, obviously, but then, uh, then also like new, new, uh, new entrants and others that might enter your market. So that's the typical strategy thing. And the, the industry has changed a lot because you know, post-financial crisis, basically the fintech said, we're going to go for the low, low-hanging fruits which are payments, and then they went after it. Uh, well, it wasn't too hard because banks were, were super bad at it. So. Uh, so they went for that. And then, then at some point, where do you go from there? Well, you go for retail because it's also relatively easy. So that's how you, we've started to see more and more new banks coming in. And this is, this is re- really what has shaken the, the industry. That's pushed incumbents to develop better digital offering, um, and uh, after that, we we've seen more and more activity in the business business segment because it's a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of it goes from the you go, which is logic. You go logical. You, you go for the very simple things, then a bit harder. Then you go for yeah, when 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 segments start to be crowded with uh, with companies even though you still have a lot of new banks launching all the time which is yeah it's a bit nuts but it is what it is um but yeah i think it went from from a very boring industry where you go to your branch to open an account uh your app is terrible the website is terrible everything is terrible the customer <laughs> experience is, is is just awful to New entrants, ob- obviously, banks uh, had to level up uh, somehow. Still, mm-hmm. yeah, they still don't have the best, the best stuff. But when when you when you look when you look back five years ago and what you have now, it's it has improved. So, but yeah. anyway, that's uh, that's the evolution of retail banking. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, Tristan, and you've you've kind of touched on it without touching on it, but if you were to define fintech, so someone that's not really that familiar with this space, or if you're trying to simply describe it, like what, what is fintech? Yeah. So I, um, I take a very broad view on, on what fintech is. Um, I take, for me, it's innovation in financial services, but 
in, in a broad sense. So okay. ATM you know, is fintech or, um, you know, a, any kind of innovation. Like it's, it's basically, it's financial technology and, and we all know that, but an ATM, for instance, is financial technology. So what I'm interested in is that I look at everything that is going on. So in finance, in technology, also in business and economics, because definitely for me, you put everything in a box, you shake it, and this is what, what fintech is. It's everything that is happening. So it can be it can be startups, but it can be also incumbents uh, doing stuff. It can be technology companies trying to enter the market, change things in 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 the financial in financial services. So it, it's it's a lot of stuff. And it's just because I'm quite interested in innovation and but really when from the point of view that it's it's solving for a need. It's not just innovation for the sake of innovation, which is nice sometimes, you know, just to, to show that you can do something, but it needs to have a it needs to have a purpose and um, and the purpose needs to be that it's it's better than what you have. Like, you know, it's for instance, if you're saying you're innovating and you have a new product, cool. Is it is it better than what is on the market? Is it solving for people's needs? Do they do they want it? Are you sure they want it? <laughs> this kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I, I, th- I think there are you know various ways to to look to look at uh, at fintech. But I like I guess my background coming from a finance and economics background. I look I I, I like to have a broad view. Um, rather than go narrow into just the technology or just, you know, saying that, oh, no, it's only startups that have emerged the past 10 years. Otherwise, you're not not in, in, in fintech. Yeah, no, that, thanks for, yeah, thanks for explaining that. Because I think that everyone kind of has their own, where fintech ends and begins is a little different depending on your perspective. So I appreciate you framing that. Going into retail banking, starting to develop an interest for fintech, you mentioned that you're not interested just in the technology or just the financial services or just the business implication, but really where those intersect. Where did that interest for all three come from? And how do you view like fintech from that lens versus someone that might just look at it from a technology perspective? Yeah, so the thing is, I was in the corporate strategy team. So in what what you do is that you work on on the strategic planning. Well, you also work on strategic projects. Mm-hmm. And for me, I saw that to really understand what's going on in the industry at the strategic level, I needed to understand a bit better what was going on in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. So I started being more interested in in changes in uh, in terms of technology because the way I look at technology as well is that it's from a business perspective. Is that why, why do you use you know, this, this platform? Why do you use this technology? Okay, you want to use AI, cool, to do what? And why would you use it? Is it gonna cost you more than having a normal system? Is it, does it have any benefits? So I've, I've started looking at technology from that perspective. And, and that's where I started looking more into, into FinTech, but it was always from the point of view of how is this impacting our strategy? Mm-hmm. 
was the new entrance. How are they doing things differently than, than us? And uh, should we should we follow? Should we not? Um, so it was a lot of competitive competitive analysis and trying to understand where where the industry was going. If you see a number of your competitors uh, adopting a, a technology, uh, maybe your maybe you should as well. Maybe you shouldn't. Um, 2016, when I, I looked at, at blockchain because there was a lot of hype and everybody was doing a POC. And should we do a POC? Should we not? And you look at it and you're like, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't. And you know, a couple of years later, nothing has come, come out or barely nothing has come out of the, this POC. So it's about trying to understand where the market is going and you know, weighing the facts. Um, so, so yeah, I guess my lens is always is always that that one, which is trying to understand also the business models, um, innovation in the sense of a new business model, a new product, which doesn't happen often in financial services. To be honest, it's always a lot of marketing glitter, <laughs> and very rarely something very new. But I always look at it from from that perspective as well. Is that our are the business economics going to work? Uh, if you're going into a very niche part of financial, of retail banking, for instance, there's no money. So what what are you going to do with your with your product? Um, so that's that's where that's where I, I I'm interested. Yeah, it's trying to understand these dynamics, trying to look, you know, take a step back, look at the at the broad picture, and then narrow down sometimes into specific things to try to understand how it can impact the broader, broader picture. Yeah. No, Tristan, that makes a lot of sense. And um, when you were saying POC, in case people miss that, that just stands for proof of concept. So people that wanted to try out blockchain and just see if it would, if it would be a test case. I'm, I'm curious in terms of thinking about, and I'll delineate it from like Institute, as you said, I know you define FinTech as being coming from any, any sort of player, but the traditional sort of thought process is startups and you've got your institutions, your large banks and financial service providers. How do those two work together? Right. Cause you see a lot of, a lot of times where um, they do blend well together. Um, so how do you, how do you think about like um, financial services companies and, and FinTech startups partnering together and, and, you know, from your experience on the corporate side and just how you look at the space? Yeah, so I yeah focused a lot of my efforts on trying to make this happen because I think for for a while banks uh, thought that were they didn't need to work with uh, with these new guys and there were there was no point in, uh, eventually um, eventually all these startups would die and the banks would prevail uh, kind of this was the approach for a while and at some point they realized well actually. Maybe, uh, maybe there is a way for us to work with them. And the sense that you get value, like the, the point is that if someone is doing something and they focus all their efforts on doing it, chances are they're going to be good at it. So for certain parts of your business, uh, going for a strategic partnership makes sense because you're like, okay, if I work with them, then they'll provide this bit. It can be technology, it can be, part like a new product that you don't have and you just want to plug into it and um, I mean a lot of banks including the one where I was working 
and I've realized, okay, we should, instead of looking at every time, we should build it. We can build it our, ourselves or we buy it from whatever vendor is coming to, to sell it to us. Okay, there is, a, uh, there is another alternative, which is you partner with someone. Um, so it's easiest, you know, easiest said than done because it's hard, uh, but it's because any, any kind of uh, joint venture or a strategic alliance is hard. It's mm-hmm. not just because it's a FinTech and your bank, it's just like, it's hard because you're trying to combine two companies into doing something then you have obviously different kind of partnerships. So these are another way to call it a vendor, which happens a lot. Is like, let's do a partnership. <laughs> yeah, you're just selling me something. Um, but a true partnership where uh, each side is is trying to put like the resources to build something together and all that. It's very hard uh, because you have two cultures, especially a small company and a big company. Two cultures are, are colliding, uh, two ways of, of doing things. You have on one side a waterfall, very slow. Uh, Decision-making is just a mess because it needs to go to 100 committees and all that. And, and on the other side, you have like, you know, let's do things, let's, let's be agile and all that. And I mean, the reason banks have all these processes in place is for a reason is that have millions of customers if something goes wrong the regulator is turning and it's like what have you done mm-hmm. they're not going to go after the, the three guys in their flats like oh <laughs> well we didn't know it was the, the bank's you know problem so that's why that's why banks are, are super slow and and on the other side so what i've seen is that there there is often a uh, uh, misalignment from the beginning on mm-hmm. the expectation that this is going to be a two weeks job. Um, and, but yeah, no, I mean, when it works, it works beautifully. It's just, it's, it's very hard work to, yeah. you know, to make it work. But, uh, but I've, I've seen, I've seen successful things. I've, I've seen things, you know, burst into flames. So, <laughs> uh, what are those? Uh, I mean, what are some examples yeah. of of successful, uh, like successful partnerships? Like thinking about what are some of those key things? It sounds like you alluded to you know alignment in terms of the purpose, but what are some of those things that lead to successful partnerships versus the <laughs> big flame fire up <laughs> failures? Yeah, I, I think that um, first you need. As you, uh, as you say, you need alignment on, on both sides, on, on the objectives and, and the timing and what's, you know, what's going to be required from both sides to make it work. Um, then you need a strong will. So basically both sides need to be really damn sure that they want to do it. And uh, when I say strong will, strong will from the top. So you need... You need all the execs you can get, and if it the the higher the better. So if both both CEOs want it want it to work, it's gonna work. So the, that and and yeah, and, and then also you need a good idea uh, in the sense that it needs it needs to stand on its two feet. Uh, it needs to be a good idea. It needs to solve a, a problem. As I said, it can't be just. Uh, we want to work because we want to work together. And 
I guess when, you know, so basically you have a product market fit. So you have a product market fit, both sides want to work together, good alignment. Um, and yeah, and, and, and then it works. It just, it's, uh, I guess it's not magical. Um, it's just, you put lots of resources into uh, and, and strong will to, to make it work. It's a bit like, you know, a marriage is that you know, if yeah. both sides want to make it work, it's working. If not, well, then you end up in a, in a divorce. And <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's literally it's that. And from yeah. the beginning, you, it's the same thing. You need to, you need to talk about everything. You need to work things out before you get, you get in front of, uh, in front of the priest, because uh, then otherwise, otherwise you, you'll need to solve these problems at some point. So that's why it takes time because if you want to do a, a very comprehensive strategic partnership then you will need to work out everything from commercial to technological to governance to everything that is gonna how you're gonna run the thing um and yeah it takes it takes a bit of time and, and but but then yeah if if it works it works for everybody um and you can really leverage both sides like the 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 strong suits of, of both sides. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And getting the alignment from the, as you said, the CEOs or the executives, as many executives on board and having that common purpose, I think <laughs> makes a lot of sense in terms of being able to build a strong partnership. What are you seeing in the fintech space? Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing that you're excited about? Uh, just in general, what's what's going on that people should pay attention to? Obviously pay attention to what's going on in, in the crypto space, uh, just because there's so much going on at the moment. So I mean, you can't just ignore it. Um, however, I mean, I'm looking at, at various stuff. Uh, I think that the, the SPAC wave is, is quite interesting. That's, uh, what's the name? The special uh, purpose acquisition sorry, uh, companies, yeah, yeah. yeah, corporations. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, I forgot that. So I'm looking at other SPACs. I think it's an interesting space, uh, especially because it, it's you know, for me, this is financial innovation, in the sense that um, you you create. It's not something new, actually. It's it's been around for a while, but. You kind of look at it and you're like, okay, the IPO process is a bit broken. So let's look at something else to try to get a company to, to the stock market. So I find it very interesting and obviously look at that trade. Crypto and more broadly, anything that is you know, happening in retail, business banking, um, mostly in Europe and the US. Um, and yeah, a lot is happening. A lot of money is going into into everything in fintech at the moment um, because there is still the belief that you that incumbents are not good at, at a range of stuff and which is good uh, I mean it's it's good to, to challenge them because then they also invest and it's it's good for every everybody I think though that um, that not not all the, the startups are going to survive and not all banks are going to survive. It's just like overall there, there are already too many players. Um, and yeah, 
in in uh, in most segments not not all the segments but in most segments so i look at i'm quite interested in looking at, at the business economics of some of some of these uh these segments so as i was saying i think retail everything there is retail focused um i find it hard to see to see where where the value is going to come from because it's limited when you when you go after the retail either you're gonna you're gonna make them pay some some fees or you have to lend and if you don't do any of these then it's becoming harder you do referrals or but there, there need to be a way and yeah. i do find it interesting because um because a lot of companies are building their assumptions on on the lifetime value of a customer that you already have 20 companies that are after after that customer. So not everybody can get the lifetime value and not everybody can get the same pool of revenue. So, and especially the broader economics, wages are not going up that much. So you're like, well, okay. So people can't spend that much on, on financial services. Um, so yeah, no, uh, so that's why, you know, what I was saying, my lens yeah. is tends to be around economics and, and strategy to try to understand the dynamics that uh, are happening and and you know like what i was saying a lot of money is going into into fintech from from vcs and these vcs at some point they want to cash out so um, at some point they will say well guys that was good and fun but why don't you make a bit of money please <laughs> uh, or or they try to sell it or but but banks are are, are quite bad at integrating you know acquisitions so um, will the, and can can they buy them? Not really with the valuation that they have now. Uh, some fintechs are, are bigger than them. So what what would you do? You can't you can't buy a, a smaller business for more than than you. And <laughs> and may, maybe they don't want your shares as well because you're like you go you go to a, a fintech startup and you're like oh why don't you take uh, you know billion in in my shares that are have collapsed by eighty percent in the past you know three years. No, thank you. I don't want it. So, anyway, I, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That. Yeah, that's really interesting, Tristan, that you bring up and around the 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 valuations, right? Like I, we saw, we kind of see this with Tesla in the auto space, right? They they're like the, one of the biggest car companies, yet they produce like the least amount of cars of all the large incumbent car makers, right? Because they've got the technology and the appeal, and you see that with some of these fintech companies versus a bank, traditional bank being valued at how you would traditionally value a bank versus a tech startup. So that's that's really interesting. You're, I don't know if you're seeing this as well, but there seems to be a lot of corporate VCs from the banks now that are also trying to at least get stakes in potential companies so that maybe they can acquire them or they can have some sort of leverage to integrate in the future. Like, What are your thoughts around like the corporate VC arm in the fintech space? Um, yeah, uh, uh, we see we see a lot of activity uh, in that space. Um, for instance, BBVA made a killing on the the Coinbase IPO because uh, they had invested quite early stage and contraember by saying they make they make a good profit in the hundreds of millions. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that you uh, corporate VC is a good idea. Uh, you know, it's the next stage when you look at strategic partnerships. It's basically you look at 
okay, we're going to do a smallish thing. Then you're like, okay, let's do a joint venture and put a bit more into it. Mm-hmm. And then you have another way, which is let's invest in a company, but it needs to be, it can't be, I mean, the, the view, the view from a corporate VC is obviously different from a traditional VC that the view is, is to maybe gain early access to a, to a product or a service, some skills, uh, maybe to try to develop, you know, as I said, like a partnership, but maybe exclusive. So you try to, you try to access something. That's why you, you invest in the company. So it's less so about the financial return, a bit more about the strategic fit. So, um, so it's a bit, you, you need to be a bit more careful in terms of, it, it can't be the same way as you make a ton of, ton, tons of bets and hopefully one will, will be fine. It's yeah. more about, okay, which ones I think are going to be a good strategic fit for me uh, and and let's go. I'll invest a bit in, into all of them, but you need a process afterwards to to kind of leverage this connection. Otherwise, well, otherwise you're more like a, a normal VC. But you need you need a strong process to leverage this this connection, trying to develop things with with this uh, startups. Maybe m- maybe it's a way for you to actually acquire them uh, a bit later on. Um, or maybe you see synergies within within your portfolio because you're saying that you have two fintechs here, you have a bank, you can connect them through you and there can be value for, for everybody. So there are various various options. Um, it's, I mean, you, you obviously need to be big enough as a bank to allow, uh, all, you know, allocate some capital to do that. And it's particularly hard when you're hit that much by, by the market <laughs> it doesn't believe in you so it's it's a bit challenging from that perspective but if you're big enough and you have the money you know why not it's another way for you to to um yeah, to gain access to to early stage startups yeah makes a lot of sense Tristan in thinking about you know how the corporate vc looks at things differently than just a traditional vc would in this space um, you know, obviously different outcomes, different ability to make a number of bets and just different business model. Talk to me a little bit about how you started the FinTech review, right? So we, we kind of touched on it. You started to get interested in your re- as you were in the retail banking space and the strategic partnerships, but when did you start the business? Uh, yeah, so, um, so as I said, yeah, I was at Virgin Money and uh, I was working a lot in, in, in space and looking at what's happening. And uh, I was sharing my thoughts with my colleagues and, and then I started sharing my thoughts with more colleagues and, and more, more people in the bank. And at some point I just realized that maybe I should share my thoughts with, with more people than just uh, internally. And I, I started personal blogs that I thought I would just you know, write here and there. And uh, last year, when uh, when I left I left London, I decided that it was maybe time to try to spend more time uh, writing, but also try to see if this could be something. And this started out of it's uh, well. 
coming from a strategy background, it's not a, it's not a great way to approach market because didn't do my 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 homework on the product market <laughs> fit. I started from I like to do this, so I'll do it, uh, which is not something I, I would recommend. But anyway, I I started uh, I started writing more, and then I started doing interviews, and now I'm developing it into something more more of a of a uh, an independent media and the 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 way i i try to to differentiate from from the rest is that I'm, i take very strong opinion about stuff uh because for me I mean, you need to it's just like just uh I, i'm i'm kind of person where you know i would say uh, cut cut the crap tell me tell me <laughs> tell me what it is so so that's what I do. I I call things and I try to connect the dots between between stuff, which is what I was doing. This was my job in strategy to connect the dots to try mm-hmm. to see where the industry is going, why it's going, who is doing what, and why is they're doing it, and what is what is interesting, what is not worthy. So that's what I'm trying to do. And so I I continue to write uh, analysis, but I also like to interview people in the industry to get their thoughts so so that on specific topics i can get uh, you know i can pick people's brain and ask them okay what's uh, what's uh, what's the job market like what's uh, you know what's happening in in behavioral economics and fintech so i try to uh, that's where when i started to do interviews and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to to develop it, and I, I continue to scale it. Um, and but yeah, it, it started as a good way for me to express myself, um, and I continue to do so through through fintech review. But mm-hmm. I also try to let other people express themselves. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, I see where, where it will lead me. But the idea behind it was that I really liked it. I really liked the space. So I thought naively, I was like <laughs> the, the, the classical thing, which is uh, the classic thing, which is that um, do something you love and you never work a day, a day in your life. And well, you end up working 15 hours a day and you don't see it, but it's still, it's still a, uh, still better than just doing something that's uh, I mean you don't like or you don't want to do and you're waking up in the morning and you're like oh no god <laughs> um, so I wake up in the morning I'm like oh yeah what's gonna what's gonna happen and I read stuff and I write stuff and I find it find it fascinating that's awesome yeah I know I like that 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 story and sharing and kind of how you just turned a, a personal interest that people were gravitating toward people wanted this information and turning it into, into the FinTech review. What are some of the challenges that you faced building up? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's, um, you know, it's, it's a niche market as that um, it's, you, you end up spending so much time in it that you feel like it's a huge market and it's, it's, it's gigantic and everybody cares about it. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's not the case that uh, you have a, a limited number in the end. I mean, it's still a big number, but a limited number of people that actually care about it. I mean, care enough to read stuff, to 
be interesting and engaging with the content. So it's um, it's a challenge to 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 develop a, a media. Uh, it's it has always been maybe more maybe more lately. But actually, these days you have lots of tools to to build to build everything you need. Uh, it's I was also keen to do everything myself because I wanted to learn. So, uh, but I mean, it's super easy to to develop a develop a blog, develop a media. There are so many tools, so many platforms. You just need to. I mean, the challenge is just to um, to manage yourself and manage your time and try to not be uh, be going in too many directions. Um, and I mean, and then the challenge of being a solo entrepreneur is is quite. You know, it's quite complicated, especially because uh, when I don't do that, I, I do strategy consulting. So I'm trying to, to balance uh, balance my time between these two things. And it's quite challenging sometimes. So you end up doing doing a, a lot of lot of hours and and you also end up not disconnecting too much. So you end up waking up on the on the weekend and first thing you do is that you turn on your computer which is not not great, uh, but that's that's also the challenge when you do something you love, is that you don't you don't know where where it ends. And yeah. before, I mean, even when when I was not doing that when I was working, as a you know, oh, what what will I do to to just chill? Oh, why don't I read this report about fintech from from Capgemini? And you're like, <laughs> well, okay, but this. This is not disconnecting. So that's the problem when when you really like what you're doing is that everything is 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 work, which is great, but it's not great at the same time. Um, so I, I'm working on it. I'm trying to I'm trying to impose myself some some mandatory breaks where I don't know. I go cycling. I go do something else, but uh, no, not to. Yeah, not to work myself to uh, to death, but it's it's hard when when you like what you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a challenge that uh, entrepreneurs face when they really really enjoy their work, as you said, right? It's it's figuring out how to balance everything else with it, right? So that you don't you don't end up having it consume you and burning out. But if it's something that you truly love, you know how do you how do you balance all the other priorities in your life as well? Tristan, yeah. in terms of the future and kind of vision for the fintech review what does that look like what does success look like um i think um yeah for me success looks like uh i can spend much more time on it like yeah from uh, um in the sense that it's, it generates revenues so i can spend more time on it uh, which i don't want to the case so um, but I think that for me, the, the success is not, you know, one million readers a month uh, because it will never be the case. It's not the crunch. It's it's a niche media, and and I I also don't want to compromise uh, editorial 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 line mm-hmm. um, in the sense that I'll still call things as I see them. And I'll, I don't want to change that uh, because this is what, what I enjoy. So which means that it, it will always um, be okay for some people, but, but not for others. So 
but yeah, I think for me, success is uh, that it has developed into into a significant ish uh, independent media in the space that people go and read interesting stuff and and yeah i mean for me as long as i could get good feedback it's it's great and as long as people are interested um in in what i write uh, or or the people i interview um so so yeah i mean it's uh, for me it will it will remain um i you know i don't see i don't see in five years an office with 30 people working on it um, but but I do see in a few years me spending more time on it and and that it's um, you know it stands on on his two feet and and that it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's been it's been successful in the sense that uh, the audience is here it's recurring people that really like it um, and uh, yeah I don't know. That's that's my vision, but my my vision also is that it's a bit it's even broader than it is now. That mm, you okay. have you know, online online courses, you have more reports are published, uh, but for that you need a bit a bit more time to to dedicate to it. Um, but, but yeah, we'll I'll, I'll get there, I guess. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, for me, I don't see it as a I don't even see it as building building a business i see it as doing something i like so if five years from now i'm still doing it i'm like yeah sure well why not like i That's would success. love it uh, yeah i just I like need that. to build it into something is sustainable so that it's actually the case uh but even if it's not sustainable uh, there's no way i'm shutting it down i'm like no i'll do <laughs> i'll do something like you know, I'll go flip burgers at five guys, uh, 500 meters from my house and I'll continue fintech with That's what I do. But, uh, <laughs> I, I won't shut it down. Yeah, that's commitment right there. That's commitment. So no, I, I love that. And, you know, figuring out what success looks like for you and versus someone else or whatever preconceived definition. So I like that you've, you've thought about that. Tristan, I want to talk a little bit about personal finance as well. So I'd love it if you could describe your relationship with money. So I'm, uh, I would describe myself as a hoarder and I have a frugal uh, style of, uh, of living. So um, I guess I've, I mean, my, my dad always told me, whatever you earn, you need to save half of it. So, I mean, I grew up, he told me that all the time. So when, when I started working, I had this mindset that, you know, this is what I need to do. And the thing is, as I was, as I was earning more and more over the years, uh, I never really increased my, uh, my lifestyle, which means that I saved more over the years. Um, and I don't know, I always thought I need to stash a bit so that it will be handy at some point, like, you know, for many days kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has proven useful because obviously doing a, a launching like this, so, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and it's not, nothing is certain where I was able to do it because I had this mindset for years and I was able to save enough to be able to do that kind of, of move. So, um, 
so yeah, I've always been, I wouldn't say stressed about spending money, but um, kind of always focused on saving and investing money uh, just, uh, just so that I, I guess I was never saying one uh, about financial independence, but it was more around the fact that I wanted at some point that um, that I won't work for the money because I, I, I will still work and earn money because I, I need to, but it's not, it's not the reason why you work and it's mm-hmm. not the, it's not the main, the main reason why you would look for a job, for instance. But this was before, before I thought about being an entrepreneur. I thought at some point in my life when I change job, it shouldn't be about, uh, about, you know, oh, I want to earn more or I need that or I need this. Uh, so to, to try to build this, this safety takes time and, and commitment. Uh, but I guess it's more, it's, it's, uh, it's really a mindset in terms of uh, are you going to spend everything you earn or, you know, do you have a specific goal or not? So it can be, you don't have to have a goal. It can be just, just uh, I need that much money you know, saved. So then after that, I'll be relaxed kind of thing. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that your dad told you to, to save half of your income is, is much more than, uh, than the average person for sure. So it definitely affords you the opportunity so that you can spend time working on the FinTech review and things that you care about. So I love that. Tristan, in terms of the best investment you've made, what would you say that is? Um, so I have a couple of, of investments that uh, I'm thinking of. Um, I, I invested in oil last year, you know, when it went negative. And, <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, there is no way that, that you know, oil will stay at that, that level. So it was even before it went negative when it was about a bit. So I did it twice, actually. I did the same trade in uh, 2016 and I did it again so last year which is to buy ETFs uh, on, on oil and no no intention to keep it it's just like you look yeah. at the market you're like okay fine the the market is pricing the the, the barrel at, at 20 dollars it makes no sense everybody's going bust at that price so it's gonna normalize how, how long it takes who knows but obviously, I mean, so last year I made 100% in, in a couple of months. So um, nice. the only regret is that I didn't put more, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's the, the classic one. Uh, and in 2016 was a bit less, but last year was just crazy uh, because the markets were completely irrational. So I was like, you know what, I'll just step in, put a, put a few grand and see, and see where it goes. So. That's a good one, nice. and then a bit more boring and a bit more long term. But I bought I bought a flat in in Marseille below, below the market um, by you know to to rent it out, um, and this end up being a good. I think it will be a great investment. It's already a good investment uh, because it's below the market, good um, good yield. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a more boring. So I, I do both stuff. I, I do like crazy ETFs ride on, on a couple of months and I do like more boring just to balance. I mean, 
I've yeah. studied I've studied finance and I look at my investments in a very boring portfolio management way. So I'm like, okay, I need five percent in in venture capital. I need a bit in commodities. I need a bit in real estate. And this is where this is how I look at my portfolio, <laughs> and I I allocate and also like you know, in equities, I look at everything and I'm like, okay, I need a bit ex- of exposure in the US, China, whatever. And this is where I diversify because this is how you limit risk. And um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, well, that's a good thing when you study finance is that you should, be a, you should be able to do that stuff because that's why you've studied or otherwise you go work in portfolio management. But even if you don't, you should be able to manage your money. Um, yeah, and I also I also like it. I I wouldn't pay someone to do it for me. No, yeah, I like that, and I'm glad you brought up both examples, right? I think it's easy to get caught up in the equity trade or whatever the you know, or even when you think about like crypto people that got lucky or just not maybe they knew more, maybe they didn't get lucky, but you know those ones that go way up. But also thinking about, I'm sure there's also probably advantages to the the Marseille flat and being able to have that <laughs> have that real estate exposure as well. So in terms of the other side of the coin, I'm sure you don't always make fantastic decisions. What would you say is the dumbest money mistake that you've made? Uh, if I have to think, well, dumbest mistake is probably not to have bought Bitcoin first time I, I came across <laughs> Bitcoin in 2010. Uh, so this is probably the dumbest, uh, dumbest mistake because obviously, you know, uh, I don't know when I looked at it, it was, you know, in the low tens kind of thing. So, um, even if I had put hundred would be a lot of money now. Yeah. Um, so this was particularly stupid. However, uh, back then I was, uh, studying business and finance and I was looking at it in a very rational kind of economics way, which is, okay, this, the intrin- intrinsic value of this thing is zero. So even at 10, it's going to go to zero. So that's, that's a problem, right? Is that I, I was looking at it from, uh, I mean, how I would have known that there would be a hype and then all the institutional investors and an, an, a pandemic where quantitative easing goes like full on and then equities and then oh, who knows and boom. so this was uh, this was quite a mistake um, so I should have I should have invested uh, invested uh, that and also I guess for for a few years I kept too much cash um, so uh, this wasn't very optimized and when you look at inflation, and uh, for like five years, I kept way too much cash. Uh, this was probably now 10 years ago. I, I kept too much cash. I should have invested it. Um, and for sure, I would have, in the meantime, I would have doubled my money. And in the end, I, I've lost because inflation kind of eaten away yeah. my, has, has eaten away my, uh, my, my savings. So, so yeah, I think... I mean, this is just uh, the mindset of, uh, you know, you have cash and if, if you need the money, you shouldn't invest in equity, for instance. But at the same time, by doing nothing, you kind of lose money anyway. So yeah. it's just like, you know, this, this risk 
uh, risk um, taking. Uh, I should have I should have been a bit more bit more on the risk side on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the Bitcoin trade, it's kind of. I guess everybody is doing that. It's like, oh yeah, what if I had bought Amazon in 2000 or whatever? Yeah, well, I was <laughs> yeah. 10. I wasn't going to buy it. But I think for, for Bitcoin as well, I mean, I could have, but you put me exactly in my shoes back then. I mean, I still would take the same decision. So there's no, it's, it's a regret, but not really a regret because I know I would make the same decision back then. Yeah. No, that's a good way of, of thinking about it. Yeah. So those are good, good mistakes. Well, Tristan, I appreciate you sitting down. Um, in terms of last word, I want to leave you with the last word, anything you want to leave the audience with. And then also please let folks know where they can learn more about you and where to go to get the FinTech review. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, that was, was going to be my last word where first, Thank you for, for having me. Uh, as you can see, I can talk about FinTech for a very long time, or business or economics. I, get, I just can talk about uh, my uh, uh, my dad is calling me the radio when we're in the car. So yeah, that's, that's <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, if people are interested in, in strong opinions about stuff and uh, engaging with me on, on FinTech, I'm always keen to do that. Um, I'm absolutely everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, you can find me about, about anywhere. Um, and yeah, I'm always keen to talk to people in the space to share point of views. Well, I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in people that don't have the same point of view as me. Uh, people that, that violently disagree with what I, I'm saying, uh, because this is the best discussions, right? Is that someone telling me, no, Tristan? This is completely false. <laughs> you're, you're missing the point uh, because this, this is I love. So if people think I'm, I'm full of it, then just talk to me, me know. <laughs> uh, and, and let, let's have a chat about it. And let's just compare, compare what, we, what we're singing about, the, about the, the industry, about what, where fintech is going, what is fintech. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. I feel like most people are trying to avoid confrontation confrontation and bring it on. Tell me where I'm wrong. Let's have a really good discussion. I love that. So. Yeah. That's the thing is that I, I, I did boxing and MMA for, for a few years. So I'm not, I'm not a confrontation away. I just love, love it. <laughs> nice. Well, Tristan, thanks so much for sitting down. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. That's it for the Silicon Alley podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and share this episode with others, folks that are interested in finance and technology. They will appreciate you sharing this wisdom from Tristan. And of course, if you haven't already, go ahead and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when episodes air every Friday. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of Silicon Alley podcast. Have a very profitable day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'll 